pastor's giving me the honor to read his text. If you want to turn to Genesis chapter 15, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Thou shalt, that thou shalt not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward the heaven, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Lord, we come to you today with thanks. Thankful we're able to gather together and receive your word without persecution, Lord. Thankful that we have a pastor, Lord, that's sensitive to the Holy Spirit and sensitive to your voice, Lord. We pray that you open our eyes or our minds and our hearts, Lord, that we, we may receive. In your holy name, amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, John. Amen. What a marvelous job, Brooks. You've done a great job exhorting the people. I appreciate you so much and your anointing. Uh, today we're going to get right into the word of the Lord and the text that I have chosen today is a high profile text concerning the seed of promise that should come from the loins of this man by the name of Abram and Sarah. This, of course, was speaking of the son Isaac, who was to be what we call the promised son. I want to relate this story to the last two Sunday morning messages when I talked about the end time glory that is to come upon the earth. I tried to finish this sermon two different times, and I tried to even finish it last week, but I felt like that I left out one of the most important parts that is tied to the glory of God that is to be revealed. So today I want to finish, or try to finish again, what the Lord has put into my heart about the last day outpouring of a spirit and the end time glory that is going to be revealed upon the earth. When you look in our text, we see that the word of the Lord had came to Abram in the form of a vision. As we said last week, that the, in the last days, there will be a rise of the office of the prophet. This will be uh, where prophetic dreams will happen and visions and prophetic utterances will be given to the church. And I want to tell you, don't be surprised when these things begin to really intensify in the body of Christ. But also don't be surprised that well, there will be trial and error. Anytime that God pours something new out upon the congregation, we have to mature, we have to grow, and we have to try the spirits. And there will be trial and error in the things that we do. But this is revealed in the prophetic word that we're going to be using over and over and over in the scripture in Joe 2, 28 and 29 that we quote a lot. That in the last day, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy your old men's going to dream dreams your young men's going to see visions and upon my handmaidens and upon my servants I'm going to pour my spirit out saith the Lord of hosts but the rise of the prophetic dreams and visions and divine utterance will not replace the written script or the word of God or what we call the Bible but it will complement it confirm it and bear witness to it but it will never contradict scripture nor will it vary from it whatsoever the word of God my friend is the final 
authority and no one can add to it and no one can take away from it. Everything that is done in the realm of the prophetic must coincide with the teachings of the word of God. They must fall in agreement to scripture and confirm that which has already been established as truth. I'm doing a little pastoring there because when this takes off, I want you to know there'll never be a prophecy that'll contradict that word. There'll never be a vision that will contradict the scripture. Everything that is done has got to be in alignment with truth and the truth has to confirm that which is being spoken. Can I have an amen? Here in our text, we see that Abraham is receiving the promise from God in the form of his vision. And the promise is connected to actually a complaint from Abram. Have you ever had a complaint? If you've had a complaint, raise your hand. Of course, we've all had complaints. There are things that we don't understand. There's times I want to say, why God? There's times that I want to say, God, this don't make sense. What's going on? But here is Abram and he's having a vision as a result of a complaint that he's given to God. The promise and uh, uh, the promise that's connected here is to this complaint that he gives in the scripture where he says, I go childless and thou has given me no seed to be my heir. He's saying, hey man, I'm almost 90 years old at this time. He's almost 100. And he's saying, I have, I got a problem. I don't have any children. I don't have an heir. And I guess I'll have to accept this Eleazar in my home to be my heir. And so he's upset about that. He's upset because he himself has not had a son to follow up and to be the heir of who of, of the family lineage. His concern was his own lack of fruitfulness and his inability to have children. And when I look at the church in the 21st century, our greatest concern here this morning ought to be the lack of new births that's coming into the kingdom of God throughout our world. Our concern ought to be just like that of Abram's, that we are not seeing the results that we should see in the realm of heirs and people being saved and brought up in the kingdom of God in America. Our concern ought to be upon our own lack of fruitfulness and our own lack of productivity and bringing many sons unto glory like we are called to do. They say that over 80% of the growth in most churches in America is transfer growth. This is nothing more than just the shifting of saints from one church to another. They'll go here for a while, then they'll leave there, and they'll go there a while for a while. That one adds to their congregation. This takes away from theirs. And this is when a church grows, they say in America, it's mainly the transferring of those saints. As a whole, they say that our nation is rap rapidly becoming anti-Christian. For the first time in American history, they took some polls here recently where there was places in America that less than 50% of Americans claim to be Christian and claim to know Jesus Christ. That's the lowest poll that they have ever received in the history of our nation. Why it, what is even more alarming is those statistics seem to be following suit with the decline of the church member, membership across our nation. There has been little to no movement in the arena of new births in some church organization and denominations for years. As a matter of fact, there's been just a handful, just a small portion too that I could find evangelical churches that have showed any growth in America whatsoever in the last 10 years and most of that growth as well was also transfer growth. Most all evangelical and denominational churches have declined. Some of them have been cut in half and some of them have been cut three-fourths. Some of them are almost in extinction today. 
This is alarming that instead of the church growing and being vibrant and thriving, it is rapidly fading away, losing its influence, losing its anointing, and it's almost become extinct. Isn't that sad? Isn't that kind of like the prophecy of Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus reveals that 50% of the church is fast asleep? And that's just about where we're at in America right now. For every church started in America, they say five or six closes their doors. What's going to happen 20 years from now? What's going to be like? What's it going to be like for our children and our grandchildren 30 years from now if this trend continues? Somewhere we have to become like Rachel when she saw that she could not give Jacob any children. She said in Genesis 31, 30 verse 1, give me children lest I die. If we don't have children birthed into the kingdom of God, if we don't have new converts, folks, the church is going to be dead in 20 to 30 years. How much more should the church of Jesus Christ, just like Rachel, be concerned about their own lack of ability to raise up children for God the Father? Everything that we've needed, I want to tell you, he has supplied. God so loved the world that he sent his son to be the savior of the world and he offered man salvation. Jesus loved the world to come enough and he died upon the cross to purchase that salvation by his own blood that they sung about today. Jesus also sent the Holy Spirit to empower us so that we would continue the work of Jesus Christ that he started and that which he initiated. The Bible tells us in John 14 and 12, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me and the works that I do, greater works than these shall he do because I go to my Father. Jesus started a spiritual revolution and when he, when he came to earth, he began to begin to change and shake the whole region. And he set captives free. He opened blinded eyes. He saved men from their sin. And the last day church is also called to be a force to be reckoned with. We are called to become a spiritual movement that will bring a spiritual revolution. How many believes that? Do you believe that the palace of praise can be a spiritual revolution started right here in Popper Bluff? You know what I want to say to every principality and power and ruler of darkness that has been assigned to this region? Watch out, buddy. The church is coming out of its shell. Watch out because you're in trouble. You've ruled long enough. You've enticed long enough. You've caused uh, uh, you've caused havoc long enough and chaos long enough. You've took our children and killed our children. Suicide has been rampant and drug abuse is rampant. Illicit sex is rampant and on and on we could go, but enough's enough. Now it's time for the church to say, hey, the prince and the power of the air, we got to come to the understanding. He may be the prince and the power of the air, but he's not the prince and the power of the church. The church is a risen church because Christ has risen from the dead to be our example. He has quickened our mortal bodies. and He has given us the work of reconciliation and the ministry of restoration. And it's time for the church to understand that the powers that is for us is much more greater than the powers that against us. And it's time to understand that the palace of praise have a right to heirs. We have a right to have an inheritance. When I die, I want you to know the 40, 50 years or whatever I'm able to pastor, I'm here 
here to tell you when I put my eyes to sleep, I hope there's thousands of heirs for the palace to praise, to carry on the good name of Jesus Christ and declare his glory and to be a force to be reckoned with. And every time a demon comes in and unpacks his bags, we come along and we just tell him, pack it back up and leave. You're not welcome here in the authority and the name of Jesus Christ. If you believe we have that power, stand to your feet and give God praise for the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The last day church is called to awake, to come out of its slumber, to come out of its sleep, to get our own oil, to trim our lamps, and to, and to get a, our, our wick burning. Matthew 15 tells us about that in the prophecy of the last day called to the virgin, which of the virgins is the virgin church that he's trying to awake. We are to lead the awakening. We're to have revival in the land. This is why that Jesus has commissioned us to do. Do you know what Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is not just a suggestion it's not just, well, this is, you can do this if you want to. It's a command. There are many commandments, and we want to hold to the Ten Commandments, and well, we should, but there's many commandments. He said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. Go ye therefore into all nations. And he tells us to preach the gospel and to baptize them, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even into the end of the world. For this reason, we are called, chosen, and saved that we might be fruitful and that we might multiply. Do you know the first commandment that God gave man when he, when he created him was? Be fruitful. Be multiply and multiply. That is the desire of the church. The church should not be declining. God should add to the church daily such as should be saved. Every day that we live, somebody under the influence of this congregation are to be given their life to Jesus Christ. There's a thousand of us, over a thousand of us in membership. And if just half of us would engage in the Great Commission every single day in Papa Bluff, somebody would be saved out of the influence of the umbrella of the palace of praise. Come on, somebody. That means every year our church ought to double and then triple and then quadruple. There ought to be a momentum that the gates of hell could not even close to come to stop. Can I have an amen? God's first command is to be fruitful, be multiply. We are commanded to be fruitful all throughout the scripture. And just like the tabernacle of Moses that we spoke about last week, we have to become a movement. The glory of God is not in a place. It's not in a structure. It's not in a time frame. Everybody goes, oh, the good old days, the glory days. You remember the 50s? You remember the 60s? It's not in a time frame. The glory of God is in us. Say it, it's in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the dwelling place of God. We are the spiritual house built up of lively stones for the inhabitation of the Spirit. Just as the tabernacle was made to be mobile, the church has to be mobile by going out of its four walls, revealing the glory of God, spreading the glory of God to and fro throughout the earth. That is our job. I declare for the rest of this year of 2021 that Papa Bluff will see the glory by the inheritance of the members of the palace of praise. We're going to touch our world and we're going to turn it upside down and we're going to decree that the devil 
devil's had it long enough and this, this earth does not belong to the devil. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and he's already got us a, a land description he told Abraham. He said, Abraham, you want an inheritance? He said, yes. He said, then I'm gonna give you inheritance. Start off walking and wherever the soles of your feet go, that will I give it to you as an inheritance. If you go a mile, I'll give you a mile to the west. If you go a mile to the north, I'll give you the mile to the north. If you go a mile, I'll give you a mile to the east. If you go a mile to the south, I'll give you a mile to the south. But Abraham, if you go a thousand miles to the west, if you go a thousand miles, I'll give you that. Abraham, if you'll go a million miles, whatever inheritance you want, you go out to possess it and you have a determination to get it and there wherever the soles of your feet fall, I'm going to give it to you as an inheritance. Our inheritance to discernment by our willingness to go and pursue it and get it. Can I have an amen? The glory of God is to rest upon us, set upon us, manifest through us, and to testify of us. Just like the glory of God was with the early church, even so, the glory of God is to be with us. How many knows that the Spirit of God done miraculous thing in the early church? He's to be doing the same works here in greater works, Amen. God begins to address Abraham's excuse of not having children. We have so many excuses for not bringing up children and, and winning the harvest and winning the sows. We say things like, well, I don't have enough time or, well, I just don't feel adequate. Uh, you know, uh, they, they, I try, but they just don't respond. I don't know what to say to them. Well, I'm really not called to that. First of all, if you feel inadequate, you shouldn't because God's equipped you to do it. Number two, you should know what to say. Number three, it doesn't matter that they don't respond. You're planting seed, and when you plant seed, the word of God will not go out void. It will return and accomplish that which God said it would do. Just because you sow it today, you might not get the increase until a year later. Can I have an amen? And thirdly, what did Jesus say? Say not that there are four months and then becometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, look up on the fields. They're white. They're ready to harvest right now. It's not the harvest's fault. It's the church's fault. We've got to get engaged in the harvest. Folks, I am serious with all of my heart. God has given me a vision that this church will triple within just a few short months if we'll obey the voice of God. I feel it in my spirit. God says to Abram in verse four, Eleazar is not your heir, but he that shall come forth out of thy own bowels shall be your heir. Now let me say this. This tells me that God wants each individual to have their own heir. He doesn't want your heir to come by the way of someone else's labor, someone else's intimacy, someone else's sacrifice, someone else's work and prayer. Hagar was not to be the mother of the seed of promise. It, should, it was going to be Sarah. God wants you to have your own glory that testifies of who you are just as glory, uh, just as Jesus' glory testified of who he was at Canaan of Galilee. You remember last week I told you that in Canaan of Galilee, the first miracle he'd done was at the marriage supper or the marriage of Canaan of, Gal uh, Canaan of Galilee. At the marriage supper there, he turned the water into wine and it said, and he began to show forth his glory and as a result of it, the disciples believed upon him. God wants you to have your own glory to where people can believe in you and that glory testify of who you are. He wants you to have your own time of intimacy that produces that glory in your life. He wants you to have your own beauty, your own grandeur, like that of Solomon's temple, to challenge you to go after the impossible. 
Just one visit we talked about last week of him, one glimpse of him will refresh us and build us up, affirm us to get us to believe that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. In order for us this to happen, look what our, our text says in verse five. God brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward the heaven, tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. Now I want you to look at this just for a minute. There are three things that's very important about this verse of scripture. The first one is the Bible says he brought him forth abroad. If you'll look into that, it means he told him, come out of your tent. He was in the tent. He was having a vision. It was the nighttime. He said, come out. Come out of your tent. God had to get Abraham out from among his circumstances before he could deal with him about the possibilities of his promise. Can I tell you, some of us don't believe in the promise. It's very frustrating for people to have vision and everybody around them don't have any vision. It's very difficult to preach vision and everybody kind of like, yeah, right, that's so far-fetched. Come on. Am I in a Pentecostal church that believes the impossible, that nothing's impossible to them that believe? Emma, I can't hear you. Do you believe that God wants to do exceedingly abundantly above more than what you can ever dream or even think of or even what you can imagine? The things that you desire, God wants to do that and much more than what you can ever dream of in your life. We limit vision all the time because of our circumstances. God has to tell him, hey, get out from out behind that tent. God had to get Abraham from among, out from among the circumstances before he could deal with him about the possibilities of his promise. How could Abraham believe for a baby, called it up to a 90-year-old wrinkled woman that can't have children? Amen? You're telling me I'm having, look, have you seen what I'm married to? The Bible already said she's 90 years old and already said she's past age of having children. And you're telling me I'm gonna have a baby with her? And he didn't tell her that. He first of all said, come out from among her. In other words, before he dealt with his promise, he had to get Abram away from his dwelling, his place of familiarity, and a set of circumstances. The first thing God tells him is, come out. You know what God's speaking to the church? Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord of hosts. Come out from the things of the world. Come out from the things that's dictating to you a, 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 a fear and, and doubt and unbelief and anxiety and your fretting. Come out from among the world and be ye separate. The next thing he tells him to do is look heavenwardly. Oh, I like that. He said, look up. Tell me, Abraham, what you see. Before the baby can come, before promise can be fulfilled, before the glory can be seen, we have to have a heavenly vision. Amen. Our vision's got to be from the Lord. Our perspective has to change from an earthly point of view to a, to a heavenly point of view. It has to change from one of flesh to the one of the spirit. I want to tell you there are certain things that will never happen until we look heavenly. We're not going to have a change of perspective if we don't rise above our own set of circumstances and come out from staring at the things that are always negative in our lives. Amen. Our focus, our perspective, our vision has to be influenced by heaven. When David faced Goliath, he did not let his eyes tell his mind what to think. He told his mind to tell his eyes what to see. And somewhere in the palace of praise, 
We got to get past the circumstance dictating to us and us bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and say, you can say I can't, but God says I can. You say I won't, but I, God says I will. You say it won't happen, but God says it will happen. God, God, you say I'm a loser, but God says I'm a winner. And if, let God be true and every man a liar. If God says it, that settles it. I'm going to do it. I'm going forward. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ. And if he's with me, nothing's impossible and nothing can work against me. Amen. Give the Lord praise. I'm preaching to you today. That's why the Paul said in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, if you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, which Christ sitteth on the right hand of the Father. Set your affections on the things of the above and not on the things of the earth. You got to get spiritual. You got to get committed. And then we look at, and then we have to look at the things above, the spiritual, not the things of the earth, the things that's tangible, the things that dictates and tells us things by the things that we see. Paul encourages us to Philippians 2 and 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 5 through 7, it says, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the spirit do mind the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is an enmity with God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. In order for me to be able to possess my possession, spiritually speaking, then I have to have a spiritual mind. Amen. You have to have a spiritual mind to possess your spiritual inheritance. We have to have a heavenly vision. We have to have the mind of the spirit. This is why that Paul said in Philippians 4 and 8, listen to what he tells us as believers. Finally, brethren, say finally. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Then why is it that we're thinking all of the negatives and we're not trying to discipline ourselves to think of the positives? Why are we fretful? Why are we walking around in a state of disbelief? Now, I'm not talking about being burdened of the Lord like I shared with you last week, but I'm talking about having fears and anxieties and worries and, oh, the world's going to go to hell in a handbasket. I tell you, the world's going to go to heaven by the blood of Jesus is what I'm proclaiming. Amen. We have to have our minds fixed on heavenly thoughts and not on the things that's earthly and devilish in nature. We have to have a new fresh touch of God that will bolden our vision with the possibilities of achieving our promises. We will never receive our promise laying in the bed with our Sarahs, taking our ease and grappling about why we don't have, why we don't have, and making all kinds of excuses like Abram did. After God draws him out of his tent, he tells him to look heavenly and he shows him more than just him having a son. He shows him an impossibility. He didn't just show him the possibility of an heir of him having a son, but he showed him a vision that surpassed anything that God, that, that Abram would have ever dreamed or that Abraham would ever even imagined. Can I tell you that God wants more for your life than what you want for yourself? Did you know every good gift and every perfect gift coming from above and coming down from the Father of lights where there's neither verbalness nor shadow of turning? Do you know it's God's good pleasure, pleasure to give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven? Do you not know that God wants to give you more than what you have the possibility to even imagine to receive it? And we sit around saying, why I don't have anything. Why is it that some flourish and I don't? God wants all of you to flourish. 
God wishes you that we'd all be in good health and prosper even as our souls prosper. Come on, somebody. God wants us to have more than the world. The, the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. It's time that we take what's rightfully ours. Amen? We sit around as if we have nothing and God's wanting to give us more than what we ever even desired or even thought of. He's got more plans for us than what we have for ourselves. His expectation was, uh, Abram's expectation was blown away and the realm of the impossibility began to be a part of Abraham's mentality. God changed his thinking pattern. Listen to what he said. Look up, Abram. What do you see? Stars, man, out there on that plane. And he said, can you number them? Abraham, I'm sure, said, no way I can't number them. And then he said, he added this promise. See all the stars? So shall thy seed be. You're not just going to have a son. You're not just going to have an heir. You're not just going to be a father of a nation. But you're going to be the father of a multitude. I hear God coming down saying, hey, Palace, I don't want you to settle for just a thousand saved. Wouldn't it be nice to see a thousand people come to our church and get saved? That's a big number, isn't it? You know what God's will is? That all should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So I might as well go after the whole city. Amen? If God's will is for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth, then it's my job to give as much truth as I can so that through the glory of God testifying through me that many may come and be redound to glory as a result of the ministry of the palace of praise. So the more truth I get out, the more God's able to fulfill his vision in our lives. Can I have an amen? He wasn't just going to have a son. He's going to be a father of a multitude. Then notice the most important words yet found in verse 6. And Abram believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. In other words, all of a sudden, Abraham's griping in a tent. He's curled up to an old, wrinkled 90-year-old lady. There's nothing but death on the horizon. No, no heir, no promise, no future. Come on, and I have an heir. There's no future. There's no vision. There's nothing. It's just like, I'm putting in the time. I'm, that's where the church is at, putting in the time. And what will be, will be. That's where Abraham's life was. Stuck in a rut with no vision, no possibility. Thinking that God wasn't going to give him nothing. That God was unfair to him. Half the church world feels like God's forsaken them. Why is it that we can get mad at God for the bad things that happen and the devil's handprints are all over it and we don't give the devil any anger whatsoever. We want to blame God for the things that's going on that the devil's disrupting. Amen? God's sitting there saying, all right, Abraham. Brings him out, shows him the possibility, and all of a sudden Abraham believes. And it's counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham bought in to the possibility. If I tell you that by the next year at this time we can be running 2,000 people, how many can believe the possibility with impossibility with me? Some of you are. Hey, I, I'm telling you, something's fixing to happen. It's going to be phenomenal. And I'm going to have my share of the piece of the pie, honey. My grandpa Miller always used to say this. I love my grandpa Miller's vision. I've told this before, but I believe God does the same thing for us. I'd go, Mom, let me have a piece of pie, please, please. No, you can't have a piece of pie. Yeah, I want a piece of pie, please, please, please. And my grandpa would always say, oh, give him a piece of pie. 
And finally, okay, he can have one piece, Neil. That's, they called him Neil. They called him C. Oh, Grandpa Miller, he cut me out a piece, and it was about, that, about like that. Little bitty thing. And he put that piece on a saucer, and then he slid me the rest of the pie and said, remember, you only get one piece. <laughs> Woo, what a piece of pie. I'm here to tell you in the spirit realm, I see God taking a little knife, slicing a little bit of piece out, putting it over on a saucer, and then he's handing the rest to the palace of praise and saying, remember, you, only, you get only one piece of the pie. I hear the heavens declaring that the greatness of God is about to be revealed from earth to glory. God's about to do a work that you and I cannot even fan on. Oh, God, give, us, give him praise. But Abraham's perspective changed. But that didn't mean he was without flaw. Matter of fact, Abraham's vision turned from one of earthly vision to one of a spiritual vision. Amen? But Abraham would go ahead and have many encounters with God. The story I read to you happened in Genesis 15. But Abraham has another encounter with God in Genesis 17. I won't go through the whole story because of time, but it's here where God meets with him. And all of a sudden, in the context of this vision, in the first context... God just pulls out and says, you're going to have an heir. God pulls him out and gives him a promise. And then God begins to show him the size of that promise. Look at the stars. You can't even number them. That's going to be the amount of heir that you're going to have. But God did not give him every detail. In Genesis 17, he comes along, and in this encounter, he drops a bomb. He begins to reveal a little bit of his plan of what he's going to do. The Bible says that he began to tell Abraham, Abraham, I want you to know that the seed is not going to come from Hagar. It's not going, your seed is not, or your heir is not going to be Eleazar, but this seed, this promised child is going to come from that wrinkled old woman that you couldn't see the possibility of having a child with. Your heir can come in the most unlikely ways and packaged so much differently than the way that you dreamed it or thought it. And one of the reasons we're not seeing things is we got certain things packaged one way and God's wanting to deliver the baby through a stork in another way. Can I have an amen? A different package. Some of you want the old revivals of the 1950s. Can I tell you? They're gone. They're not going to come back that way. Some of you look into the 70s in the era that you were born when the great charismatic renewal took place. I want to tell you it was a good movement, but that movement's over. Some of you are still looking for oil to go back to a cardboard can instead of a plastic bottle. Hello? In the natural. And we're doing those same kinds of things in the spiritual and God comes along and says, okay, I promised you an heir, but I want to tell you how I'm going to do it. See that little old wrinkled old woman that you despised and said that she's no good because she's too old? Well, she's not too old and she's not despised. I'm about to make her the queen of the country. Come on, somebody. And I'm here to tell you, he begins to give the point. And what happened? Abraham laughed. What happened to all of his faith? He's laughing. Then in Genesis 18, God shows up again to Abraham in the form of what I call the Trinity, three men. 
They go up to the tent. They call Abraham out of the tent. Abraham comes out. He gets a conversation with them. And in the make a long story short, in the midst of their conversation, Sarah's in the tent. They heard them tell Abraham, hey, the promised child's going to come through Sarah. And when she heard that, what did I just hear? They're saying, I'm going to have the baby. She laughed. We got a problem, Houston. Hello? What happened to Abraham's faith? Now we got Abraham and Sarah laughing at the promise of the seed that is to come. They're kind of in denial. They're like, what? What in the world's going on? The Bible says not only she laughed, not only Abraham laughed, no, no wonder they called the child Isaac because his name means laughter. If Abraham believed and it was counted unto him for righteousness in verse 50, chapter 15, then what happened? Their laughter was a sign of doubt. It was a sign of unbelief in the plan that God was going to use. Sometimes God has to deal with the possibilities before he deals with the procedures of how he's going to do it. Sometimes God comes down and says, I can't give it to him all at once. I'm going to give him a nugget and say, hey, this is what I promise you. We all get on board about the promise. We like the promise, but we don't sometimes like his plan of how he's going to do it. Come on, I'm preaching to you now. God had to get him to believe the impossible before he revealed the plan. What good is it to reveal a plan if he ain't got no faith in him whatsoever? Thank God that he doesn't reveal his whole plan to us at the first because if he did, we'd all get overwhelmed. And we will. If God would have shown me the things he showed the Apostle Paul of all of the things I must suffer for his name's sake before I ever went through them, folks, I would have never been uh, accepting the call to the ministry. Amen? And you know what God does? He gives us drops of glory and that way that we go from glory to glory, from glory to glory, from glory to glory. God's vision comes in stages. Sometimes we get a glimpse and we think, whoa, the whole world's changing, only to find out that that's just the possibility of the promise. But now what's God going to do and what kind of plan is he going to work in your life to bring that possibility to pass? Little by little, bit by bit, we receive portions of his promise along life's way. We only get glimpses of his plans and insights of his revelation. And it's just that. It's just insights. It's just glimpses. It's just pieces. It's just portions. We don't even get a full picture of everything when people prophesy. You know what the Bible says? Because all of us just prophesy in part. You hear a prophecy? That ain't the full detail of what God's doing. It's just a little piece of the puzzle saying this portion is going to be a part of the big plan. Amen? This is why that we have to have an encounter after encounter, encounter after an encounter, experience after everybody talks about. Man, you and Randy are always pushing for an encounter. You and Randy, you know why I'm doing that? Because your first encounter is just but a piece. Your second encounter is just another piece to put to that piece. Your third encounter is just another piece to put to that piece. And you'll never fulfill the puzzle until you get all the pictures put together. My wife bought a nine piece puzzle. There's nine pieces to it. And she threw it, scattered it out on the table and she said, put that together. I said, Jenny, I'm not three years old. There's nine pieces there. Put it together. One night I worked till three o'clock in the morning. The next night I worked till two or two thirty. All that week, and I want to tell you folks, 
I wanted to take those nine pieces and throw them as far as I could. I was getting so frustrated. It almost make a preacher cuss. I fooled with that, and I fooled with that, and I fooled with that, and I fooled with that. It, it, you know, it, it, you say, oh, it, you mean you can't put a nine? I want to challenge you to put that nine piece to puzzle together. Three squares here, three squares here, three squares here. They're about, the, the squares are that big around you. Think, oh, that's easy. You make it fit. It was hard. She brings it to the church. There's just some people more talented and gifted than others. And she gives it to Barbara B.B. You know what I got to say about Barbara B.B.? <laughs> Next thing I know, Barbara has got it put together. Woo! You're talking about a man's ego going boom. I went to her, I said, Barbara, I don't like you no more. She just laughed. She's a very intelligent woman. Very smart, very brilliant. Those of you that don't know Barbara, Baby, she can do anything. She's superhero. I don't know if she's completely all human. She's an unbelievable lady, a marvelous lady. We're just so blessed to have her as our receptionist. Does such, everything she does is just precise and wonderful. She's meticulous. She's articulate. She's just, she's just, she's just grand. And finally, she smiled. Well, I cheated a little bit. I looked on the internet and got a clue. Then my ego come back up. Uh-huh, even the most brightest of minds couldn't even do it without a little bit of help. And let me tell you, when God begins to give you little glimpses and little pieces, you still gotta have divine help and enablement to be able to see the picture clearly. And it takes not only one encounter, not only two encounters, not only three encounters, but all the days of your life, you'll walk in different places encountering God. And every time that you do, every time he, you encounter him, there's another piece of the puzzle added. And the further you go, the brighter the light shines, the bigger the vision gets the more detailed that God begins to work things out in your life. And all of us has heard things from God and we have doubted and we have laughed even though that we have believed upon him in the possibility through salvation. We've all been them Abrahams and we've laughed. Sometimes God has to deal with the possibility before he deals with the procedures. This is why we have to have those encounters, those regular Bible studies, those regular devotions. Folks, we always gotta have those God moments, those rhema words, those times when God reveals himself, when he gives you a word into your life that sparks new passion and so you can continue on in this race of life. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, the first outpouring on the day of Pentecost was there was a prophetic word over it. And God said, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. It would be the Holy Spirit that would cause the prophetic word of the last day outpouring to be fulfilled. Fifty days after Passover, the disciples received the Holy Ghost empowerment and the kingdom had come in power and great glory just like Jesus had promised. The Holy Spirit would be the agent that would fulfill the prophecy to see the glory of God in all the earth. The early church, after the Holy Spirit outpouring, it became an urban movement. I want to slow down. This is what God wants me to get out. Christianity, as we all know, it started in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And then it began to spread throughout the cities of the Roman Empire. 
After the Holy Spirit baptism in the upper room, the disciples took to the streets. It was there that Peter preached that famous Pentecostal message and in one day, 3,000 souls were added to the church in one day. Greater per, great persecution came against the church just like it is right now because we're coming into what we call the second outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the latter rain. History's repeating itself. They were persecuted and we're being persecuted. But the saints were scattered. The Bible says the word of God spread throughout the, 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 the world and the saints were multiplied. Everywhere they went, the scattering of those saints had preached the word and people would be getting saved. We see the glory of God in Samaria in Acts 8, 5. We see it in Damascus in Acts 9 and 2. We see it in Caesarea in Acts 10 and 1. We see it in Antioch in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. We see that the glory of God spread from urban areas all the way to the countryside and then all back to the cities throughout that Roman Empire. The church in Jerusalem became the world's first mega church of 10,000 people in a city that was permanently a population of about 80,000. Do you not understand that less than just a few days, 12% of the city of Jerusalem became disciples of Jesus Christ just overnight? Them statistics blow your mind. What would happen if 10%, 12% of Papa Bluff would get saved tomorrow? Wow, that's just the beginning. God's glory began to spread throughout the church of Jesus Christ through the early church like wildfire. As a matter of fact, there was to spread all the way down to Antioch where there was a city of a population of about 800,000 people. And it was a multicultural city. There was all kinds of different languages there, all kinds of different people from all kinds of tribes and nations. And then we see that there was a five-member multicultural pastoral staff there from three different continents. There was Simon the Black. He was from Africa. There was Lucius of Cyrene. He was from North Africa. There was Menin, which was a slave to Herod's father. There was Saul of Tarsus, who was from Asia Minor. There was Barnabas from the island of Cyprus. And these five-member pastoral team quickly made the church what they called a missionary church, a missionary sending church, which would spread the gospel to the entire world as we know it. And can I tell you, it was the first place that they were called Christians there in Antioch. The mark of a glorious church and an anointed church is not its seating capacity, it's in its sending capacity. Until we hit the streets of the world, of our world with what we got, we'll never get any more than what we have because God can't trust us with it. Revive me, God. And God's saying, for what? Every time I do, you use it for your own personal gain and, and, and you do it to the own gratification of yourself, but you never get fired up enough to go out and do anything with what I'm giving you. Come on now. Just like Solomon's temple. It was arrayed in splendor and glory. We need the refreshing of the bold presence of God that makes, that we, makes us feel grander and splendor to where that one touch gives us the faith to believe in the impossible. You know, back in the early days in the Ninth and Cedar, we had a revival one time with Billy Claypool. We refer to it all the time. And I mean, people were getting saved from everywhere. They were driving from St. Louis. Our church was packed every night. We didn't win them all just our church, but they were getting saved. They were coming from all over the country, man. We had them way down in Arkansas coming. We had them, I think at one time there was five or six states that we knew that was represented where they were driving from around the different states that was connected to Missouri. Some of them weren't even connected to Missouri, driving across other states to get here to go to this revival. And one night after the revival, I don't even know if he remembers this, 
Me and John Sales are sitting there by the back doors. It was almost midnight. The place was completely full. No one would leave. Everybody was crying, sitting around talking. And you, you just couldn't get people to leave. And Chuck Greer walked up to me and said, look at this. I got to go to work tomorrow. I'm getting to be an old man, he said. He said, but I tell you, I can't leave this place. And he said, I have never told more people about Jesus Christ than what I have in the last few days. God has fired me up. And that congregation got to telling people and that story of that revival began to spread like wildfire. And it went from Missouri to those different states. And we had, I don't know how many, there's no number that I can put on how many people were saved in just one week. If God done that in the late 1980s to the, to the Ninth and Cedar Church to where we could become what we are today, then what kind of a move can God make happen here to where we can go to our destiny? If we think Palace of Praise is great, just think of what he can make it with the next move of God. Can I have an Amen. Amen, I'm gonna hurry up here. Romans 10 and 15 says, how shall they preach except they be sent as is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring great tidings of good things. Paul used the same word beautiful that was used to describe Solomon's temple and compare it to the feet of those that preach the gospel. Under the old, Ichabod may have been pronounced. The glory of God has departed. The old has been vanished away. There's no longer a Moses tabernacle. There's no longer a Solomon temple. Herod's temple has been long been destroyed. But in the New Testament, through Jesus Christ, the glory of God is revealed through his church. Amen? Last week, I preached to you about the impossibilities of all of the different things that's coming against us and all the negatives that's going to happen. But I want to tell you, it's just as true as it's true that the evil's going to rise. The Holy Spirit's going to intensify. You're fixing to see things of the Holy Ghost you've never seen before. I want you to know that every one of you have a promise of glory over you. You are part of the inheritance, you are part of the inheritance among them that are sanctified. And that inheritance gives you the right to share in the glory of God. We may not like the plan and the procedures and the way that he wants to do it. But I want to tell you, we can believe the impossible like Abraham. Now let him reveal the plan. Let him get started in your life and let you receive heirs that, and fruitfulness and productivity for your life. The Bible says in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. We, we done read that. The first thing that's going to happen, there will be a restoration of ethnic equality. No part of the, no part of the earth is going to be untouched. God's going to break down ethnical barriers. This will affect all nations. There's this, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue is going to be blessed. This is not an American thing. This is not a white thing. It's a black thing. It's a red skin. I want to tell you, this is for all nations. What's about to happen is a global thing. There will be a restoration of sexual equality. How do I know that? The spirit will be poured out with distinction upon sons and upon daughters. So if you're male or if you're female, you're a recipient of glory. You don't have to worry. Do I got women's rights? Do I got men's rights? I want to tell you, I, this thing of God, there is a restoration of sexual equality that when the spirit moves, he's going to do it on the women and the men alike. There will be a restoration of age equality. Age bearers will come down. Young men will, and women will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. The old is not done away with. The young is not despised by the old. But the old and the young, hand in hand together, will be filled with the wine of the Holy Spirit. And God is going to use both old and young to fulfill his purposes on earth. 
There will be a restoration of social economical uh, equality. What I mean, handmaidens, servants, the lower social economical classes, those oppressed and disadvantaged will see barriers erased. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is going to break down this thing about the favorites, the cliques, the preachers, the council. It's got nothing to do with that. It's not only going to hit the rich, the poor, the business owner, the upper class, the wealthy citizens, but it's going to hit those that are poor and uneducated and the least likely. I want to tell you, and the disadvantaged, they're all equally, the rich and the poor alike, the educated, the uneducated, the servant and the president are going to walk hand in hand with equality together with the glory of Almighty God. The peasant will share the glory of the king. Can I have an amen? God is not a respecter of persons. When you look at our history, you're going to see Luther brought reformation to the church at Germany. Wesley changed Britain. Knox shook Scotland. Whitfield changed the climate of colonial America. Livingston evangelized Africa. One man, one man did all this. You had the Wells Revival started by one man. You had the Azusa Street Revival started by one man. You had all these different revivals in America that shaped America. These are just a few things that happened in our history. But Zechariah 2 and 11 says, Nations shall be joined to the Lord. And we talked about in Numbers 14 and 21, as it is written, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of God. Isaiah 40 and 5, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. At Habakkuk 2, 14, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the, as the waters cover the sea. God's saying this is going to be a, a worldwide thing. I want to tell you, it won't be in isolated areas. It won't be just sporadic. It's not going to be, in, it's not going to be just the church of God or the assembly of God or the Baptist. But what I am saying here today is this, that God is about to pour his spirit out. And if we'll submit ourselves to the plan and the purpose, he will use us by the power of his Holy Spirit to fulfill a last day awakening in the land of America where we live. Can I have an amen? Folks, harvest is coming. The wine is flowing. The wind's blowing. The rain's falling. The spirit's being poured out. And all I can say is look at your past. If you think it's been good, it cannot even compare to what's fixing to happen in the future. There's something big happening. I'm prophesying to you there's something big happening. I want you to do two things for me this week. Work on it. Come out from among them. Get out from your easy street. Get committed. Then I want you to look upwardly and say, God, what do you got for me? What kind of vision do you want to give me individually? I got a family member that come and shared with me. I'm not going to share it by, her, by their name because I don't know that they would want me to. But they're so miserable because God has just put so much promise in, in that person. They're about to blow apart. And she said, man, I don't, I don't see it all. And bit by bit, little by little, it's leaking out of her. And I thought, wow, on fire. Don't know what to do with it, but working it out. Working out her own salvation with fear and trembling. And I know this without a shadow of a doubt that the latter house, the latter outpouring is going to be greater than the former. The good wine is saved to last. And this is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me and I'm going to close. He said, if I took Abraham and brought him out and said, look upward. And then I said, as many stars as you see, that's what your heirs are going to be. He said, and if on the day of Pentecost, I brought them out of their upper room and I put them in the streets, the thousands of souls were saved in one day 
Church was added to daily for, for months and months and even years. And the church evangelized the world and put churches throughout all of Asia Minor and all throughout, all throughout the Roman Empire. And eventually, through that work, the church has become a world-renowned thing. He said, if I'd done that as a result of the first movement, what kind of an heir do I want to do and what kind of a harvest do I want to have at the end when my glory is being manifested upon the last day church? Would you stand with me?